I want to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Real Estate for Life. If you're thinking about buying or selling a home or moving to a more family-friendly or Christian area, please consider going to realestateforlife.org. They will pair you with expert real estate professionals who share your faith, and they will also contribute a portion of their commission to a pro-life charity of your choice, all at no cost to you. So to connect with a pro-life realtor, please visit realestateforlife.org or call them at 1-877-LIFE-US-1. Hello and welcome back to A Reason for Hope. I'm your host, Mario Costabile, and I'm excited to be with you today. This podcast delivers a lot of hope and some information where we can explore areas of our faith to better understand who we are as Catholics. So did you ever wonder how the Catholic Church evolved? After all, it's been around over 2,000 years. And that's a long time. With each generation, the Holy Spirit works to enlighten the church so we can better understand its teachings, not change its teachings, but to interpret them so we can apply them to our world today. Why and how our church has grown to what we experience and see today is really interesting. And our history is important to us as Catholics. And today we're going to learn and try to understand some of this history. Our guest is Carl Keating, someone who has been active in helping people understand our church for a long time. So welcome to A Reason for Hope. And here we go. Dave, how are you? Are you digging this weather now that spring is coming? And I am digging the weather. I'm happy. It wasn't a really bad winter, though, which I was happy about because we're doing a conversion from oil heat into natural gas, which we're wow. excited about, which should save us money. But the job has taken forever, and it's been delayed and delayed, so I have to keep buying oil, even with the oil prices. Wow. So thank God it was uh, Well, you got fireplaces really... in your house. Burn no, the wood. No, we don't have fireplaces that burn wood. Oh, no? No. What did I see? What you saw was a fake uh, one. Well, yeah, it's a fake one. Fake fireplace. Yeah, it looks good. I'm but surprised it burn you're not a, kind of a fake guy. I. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate that. I suppose that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, but no. What we had was electric heaters around, gotcha. so that we were burning as little gotcha. oil as we could. But we still had to fill up two or three times more than we wanted to because. The job was taking so long, so. Well, I love the spring, love the summer, so I'm excited. So what's going on? What's going on? What's not going on? Have you, like, looked at the world that we're living in right now? I try not to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I try not to, especially I mean, news. I mean, beyond my measly life, you know, the thing about where our country's at, it seems frustrating to me. I don't know, economically, it seems like we're a mess. The culture wars are more intense than ever. I mean, think about what's going on with abortion and all the stuff with that. You've got these, I, I think Catholic Vote said there's been over 300 attacks on churches. And then you've got the transgender push, especially with children and talking about who should be getting surgeries and, and, and drugs and all these sorts of things. And you've got a general promotion of a, of a woke ideology in place mm. of, of Christian values. So yeah, I mean, that doesn't seem so great. And then you've got this global threat of the war in the Ukraine expanding and tensions with China. That doesn't seem so great. And then the political divide in our own country. Think about how that's heating up. We're moving into a presidential cycle. 
you know, and the former president is running again and you've got all the stuff that's going on that's, with that. That's you know? if they allow him to. Even that's crazy. It's just a really crazy time. Device can of, can you imagine a time when it was like this? I mean, I don't really remember one now. Um, I can't, know. And then think about the church, the crisis in the church. You've got some of the church's leaders promoting teachings that are directly in opposition to the teachings of Catholicism on sexuality, on moral theology, on the nature of what it means to be man and a woman, on the nature of the family. And at the same time, you've got leaders persecuting traditional Catholics and the traditional Latin mass. And uh, what's really going on, I think, is what's been really brewing for years is that uh, there's this conflict over how to understand, interpret, and assimilate the Second Vatican Council that's just now coming to a head. It's always been there, sort of subtle. Now you see publicly bishops writing articles against one another and like all these sorts of things. So you throw on top of that the sexual scandals and the financial scandals in the church. And I don't know, it seems uh, pretty historically unprecedented. Hey, want to help make this podcast better? Go to our survey URL in the show notes and leave your mark on A Reason for Hope. It is historic and it's crazy. Um, but, you know, speaking of history and historic, I had an interview with Carl Keating, who is actually the founder of Catholic Answers, and he is a prolific author, an amazing man. Uh, and he wrote this new book, which is quite interesting and very unlike him about church history. Uh, it's interesting because he does it in a very different way, you know, unlike a book that he would write in the past. Uh, and uh, it's good to know about church history, speaking about yeah. your ref reflection. Yeah, and I guess I have to always remember to not get so myopic that I'm only seeing the now and I'm not looking at the history. Because yep. one thing you realize is that we might be going through something that seems very turbulent, but it's not like... We haven't been through turbulent times in the past. I mean, right. mm -hmm. there was a time when there were three claimants to the papacy. Could you imagine us dealing with that? That would be crazy, right? And then you've got, yeah, I'd say so. you know, and then you've got, you know, church councils that happened, and then there were periods of unrest after that. I mean, you had the Council of Nicaea where the Arian heresy was condemned, uh, but then it almost seemed like the Arian heresy picked up steam after that, and. And that it went to the to the top where there were bishops that were promoting that heresy even after a council had condemned it. That's sort of crazy. And then you've got times, obviously, when when the church's hierarchy in the past at the highest levels were doing some pretty grievously immoral things and were filled with some shady characters. I mean, we have to be honest about that. You can't mm -hmm. like look at history and say there haven't been some shady popes or shady prelates in the past. So while the church is a divine institution, it's also filled with human beings, and and uh, there's been pretty turbulent situations in the past and scandals in the past as well. So maybe maybe I'm getting a little too anxious. Maybe you know this is just mm -hmm. really the way of things, and it's happened before. And right. maybe the bigger surprise is that it's been so long since we've been through a time that has been so turbulent. Right. Mm -hmm. So. It's important, I think, to keep a, a long view of history and to acknowledge the human elements in the church while, of course, trusting in God, you know, trusting in God that he will not let the church falter or fall, that the gates of hell will not prevail against her. You know, I, th I think we need to obviously keep that trust in God too. He did make a promise after all. So Absolutely.
you realize in a sense that as far as the church goes, we've been here before. And yet the church still holds to the truth that comes from Jesus and the apostles and the Holy Spirit has not abandoned the church. So, yeah, you know, we maintain that trust. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you know, there's also a real bias in regard to Catholic history. Most history you learn in school is either secular or Protestant, and both tend to put the Catholic Church kind of in a negative light. Examples of historical events that are often misunderstood, like Gal- the Galileo controversy, the Inquisition, or even the Protestant Reformation with Martin Luther himself. Yeah, and and we live in a time now, I think, where deconstruction and critical theory are prevalent and and influence the interpretation of history. I think we see that all over the place, right? So um, on the one hand, you have history. On the other hand, you have the interpretation of that history. And today, like everything has become about a narrative, like whose narrative is the one that is the one that's being promoted and put out there. But I have a question. The question is, is the narrative true? So that's to me, that's the really important question. Interpretation obviously matters, but there's a true interpretation and there's a false interpretation. And I think this applies to church history too. You know, for example, you hear all the time about the way the church uh, allegedly treated Galileo. And this often gets brought up as a way to discredit the church and to make the church seem like it's anti-science, right? I mean, the church suppressed Galileo and put Galileo in prison because he found the truth about the fact that the the earth was not the center of the universe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh but that's not really quite the whole story and and by focusing solely on one part of the story instead of seeing the overall historical context, instead of putting that story in its time, seeing it from the perspective of how they would have seen it then, as opposed to imposing our values from now back on right, it. Right. Um, I think that that creates a very different account of the mm-hmm. situation. Like yeah, one yeah. of the just quick things there is that most people don't know that the scientific majority overwhelmingly disagreed with what Galileo found. So it would be like the majority of scientists today holding one view, this other scientist comes up with this view, and now the church is expected to side with that one scientist. Right. Well, that's historically the reality of the situation. Right. What happened? But and there's more to it even than that. Mm-hmm. But like that's just one example. Yeah, yeah. I but mean, you so- never hear that part in the history books when you're in high school. <laughs> this is so true. It's so important <laughs> that you get to know and understand history because it helps you respond to these accusations, right? right? But also not to get unnecessarily anxious about what we're experiencing today. Yeah, right? man, you it's know easy me. to do that. Yeah, you uh, know me. <laughs> knowing where we've been before is important, as you stated. You know, I get frustrated, mm-hmm. and I don't think I'm wrong to be frustrated. Yeah, but what what would be a wrong thing for me to do is to to somehow not realize that we've been here before and that God is in control. He's the king of the jungle. The Holy Spirit has the church. Yeah. And in the end, we'll be okay. Yeah. You know, even if even if there's some bumps in the road, let's say. Well, we have to remember the gates of hell will not prevail. Amen. And John Paul II said, be not afraid. It's in the Bible 365 times. One for each day. That's right. Amen. There's a reason for that. I agree. There's a reason for hope. Great chat and Dave as always. Awesome. 
everybody, this is Who's That Saint with me, Alanis, where I test your saint knowledge by giving you three clues from a saint's life for you guys to guess before the big reveal. Let's begin with clue number one. At the age of 16, this saint enrolled in the University of Naples where he met the Order of Dominicans and felt a calling to enter. Upon entering, he later became a student of St. Albert the Great. Pretty cool. So we've got ourselves quite the intellectual saint. Who's that saint? Clue number two. This saint was commonly referred to as the dumb ox because his humility and silence were often mistaken for stupidity which is ironic considering that he is now a doctor of the church and has contributed many theological teachings and has enriched the church almost beyond compare. So who's that saint? And clue number three, a year before his death, he had a mystical experience that led him to discontinue any writing. When questioned about it, he answered, in comparison to what I've seen, everything I've written is a so much straw. Last chance, who's that saint? If you guessed St. Thomas Aquinas, you are correct. St. Thomas Aquinas was born circa 1225 in a region around Naples, Italy. He was among the youngest of nine children and in his later life produced a comprehensive synthesis of Christian theology and Aristotelian philosophy that influenced Roman Catholic doctrine for centuries and was later adopted as the official philosophy of the church in 1917. Quite fittingly, he's the patron saint of universities and scholars. St. Thomas Aquinas, pray for us. Hey, we love that you listen to our Reason for Hope, and we want to make it better for you. You can help us do that by filling out our survey. Just click on the URL in the show notes so we can help you dive even deeper into your faith. Hey everyone, this is Jack, and welcome to the Music Corner. Be sure to check out the show notes for this episode for the link to AOH Music's new single, Abba Father, recorded live at Oceanway Studios in Nashville. We're honored to be able to spread the word of God through music, as this song contains many quotes from scripture. For example, in the song's chorus, I am with you always until the end of all the age, comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28, verse 20. And also, be strong and courageous, Joshua, chapter one, verse nine. Trust in me who never fails, Proverbs, chapter three, verses five through six. What a joy to have a God who encourages us to trust in him, to rest in him, to be strong and courageous by his grace. What a privilege to be assured that the Lord is always with us, always thinking about us, unceasingly loving us. May we faithfully and humbly return his love by offering ourselves to him with every heartbeat we are given. Carl Keating has been a household name among Catholics since the late 1980s. He founded Catholic Answers, a lay apostolate of Catholic apologetics and evangelization. 
He is also a well-known Catholic speaker and author. His books are popular and extremely helpful for those interested in learning more about the Catholic faith and how to defend it. Some of these books include Catholicism and Fundamentalism, What Catholics Really Believe, and Controversies, High-Level Catholic Apologetics. While Carl has earned a reputation of writing more than 20 solid apologetic books, he's really broken the mold with his latest one. He has a very humorous approach in 1054 and all that, a lighthearted history of the Catholic Church. This book is very different than his other ones. So let's welcome Carl Keating. So Carl, so great to meet you and so great to spend some time with you. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm honored to uh, finally have a conversation with you. Uh, I, I've always been uh, admired your work, a fan of your just your apostle that you founded. But before we get into all that stuff, uh, I, I just want to you know start with the basics. Um, so uh, are you a cradle Catholic? Were you born Catholic? Tell me a little bit about your history and your upbringing. Uh, cradle Catholic, but... Not a particularly devout family. Uh, I always went to church. Uh, never did much beyond that until my later years. But I always identified as a Catholic, always on occasion would have to defend the faith. Uh, but I wasn't really active in any particular way until well into my adulthood. And uh, how did that happen? Uh, what, was the, what was the transitional moment? One day, my wife and I came out of Mass and uh, went to the parking lot and discovered that all the cars in the parking lot had leaflets stuck under the windshield wipers. And those leaflets were anti-Catholic. They were against the priesthood and the Eucharist. Mm, And I looked at them and, and read them through and said, this is nonsense. Somebody's got to answer this. And... I couldn't think of who might do that, so I decided to do that myself. Wow. And that got me involved in apologetics. That was my first overt apologetical act. And I ended up making my own leaflet, defending the Catholic Church. And I distributed that at the Fundamentalist Church down the block that had issued the original leaflets. Hmm. And I I still have a memory of standing across the street at the end of the service at that church and watching the people stream out and their elders or deacons came out first. And I saw them discovering my leaflets on their cars and they were plucking them off as fast as they could. So their people couldn't see them, but they weren't fast enough. And a lot of people uh, ended up taking them home. And I had gotten a PO box to use because I didn't want to use my real address. I didn't want somebody coming to the door while I was gone and harassing my wife. (laughs) So uh, about a week later, I went to the P.O. box to see if anyone had said anything. And it was jam-packed with letters. Wow. Uh, And some of them, oddly enough, were from Catholics. How they found my leaflet, I don't know. But they said, this is great stuff. Do you have some more? And I wrote back saying, uh, at the moment, everything's out of print. I'll be back in touch. <laughs> and that got me involved in writing about the faith. Well, I mean, but you had to have, I mean, in order for you to uh, be inspired to challenge uh, what you uh, what they wrote initially, you, you had to have some knowledge or understanding of the Catholic Church. So I, I, you must have been 
well catechized to be able to to do that. Well, I was catechized in a normal way, Baltimore Catechism and so on going, you know, through childhood. Mm-hmm. But after that, I didn't do any particular study on my own. But I could recognize when someone made a claim about the church that was incorrect. Hmm. And that was my status at this point. And so what happened is that I simply hit the books and I bought the books I, I, I needed to hit. Right. And I went at it avidly. I enjoyed doing that. And I, in essence, was self-educated. Hmm. So that, that's great. So you, um, you were sort of took on the challenge. You were bugged about what they had done and uh, you, 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 you made a point to correct that, which is kind of cool. It's really, uh, it doesn't happen too much these days. Uh, often we're challenged as Catholics to, to try to defend the faith and most people don't know how to respond. And, and I think I shared with you before we started recording, you know, I had a reversion back to the faith um, and, uh, you know, I, I was very malformed and I needed to develop my intellect. I had a yearning to better to understand God and, and, and uh, what his role meant in my life, if he was real, if he was fake, whatnot. And, and part of that was discovering, you know, Catholic Answers, which you founded. So uh, tell me, uh, I guess there must have been a period between this moment in the, in the parking lot to where you were inspired to to create something that really addressed uh, correcting uh, misunderstandings about the faith and defending the faith. How did that happen, and what inspired you to do that? Well, at this time, I was practicing law, and that was my occupation. But I was self-employed, so I had the liberty to put some time over to my apologetical studies and writing. So when I wrote this first leaflet, I did not want to put my name on it, is who the heck was I? Mm-hmm. So I invented the name Catholic Answers because this was an answer coming from a Catholic. Wow. And that was that. That's, I, that's as far as I thought it would go. But uh, after word got out about this leaflet and people wanted more, at least the Catholics wanted more, I wrote more. And first I wrote six, then there were 12, and then there were 24, and then there were finally 48. And so during the next number of years, while I practiced law, uh, in the evenings at home, I would do writing and I composed these leaflets and I would get them printed up and I mail them out. And eventually I got to the point where I had a newsletter that went out once a month. And it was four pages and ultimately eight pages. And that was really what got Catholic Answers going. And then I finally realized that uh, I was able actually to make a modest living at this if I could go into it full time. So I gave up my law practice at the beginning of 1988, so that's 35 years ago now, and uh, went into apologetics work full-time. And did it start out as a a leaflet, and then how did it evolve to, you know, uh, broadcasting on the radio, and what were those transitions like? First the leaflet, then then came this newsletter. The newsletter eventually became a magazine, and the leaflet turned into a lot of public lectures. I remember driving primarily around Southern California. Some weeks I would give several lectures at different churches. And sometimes I'd put in as many as 100 hours a week doing this work. But I was of an age back then that I could afford to do that without Mm -hmm. collapsing. Yeah. Uh, And then uh, it it just expanded. I got some friends to join me, a couple, uh, when I opened my first office. And then gradually over the years it just grew and I had no particular business plan as such. We were just 
you know, going along as, as things demanded. And the more we got uh, doing some public speaking, the more demand there was for that. So in those early years, in the 1990s, early 2000s, there's a lot of travel involved because this kind of thing, apologetics was new. There weren't any other lay folks doing it. Right. And uh, so we were sort of inventing as we went. And along the way, somebody proposed a, a radio show. And so we got into that. And uh, at the very beginning, I was on the show a few times a week because we didn't have enough people on staff to fill up the hours on air. Uh, eventually, I, I withdrew from that quite a bit because I'm not really one so suitable for radio. As our first uh, full-time host, Jerry Usher, told me at one point, he said, Carl, you've got a face for radio. <laughs> so, uh, which is radio speak for saying you don't really have a radio voice and a manner, <laughs> which I, and that's true, I don't. So, uh, but that went on its own and more and more people joined our staff and uh, eventually it grew to about 45 people. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, you know, some years ago I retired and I've been on my own now, primarily uh, on the one hand, enjoying life, like getting out of doors a lot and the other uh, writing books. Yeah. And I've got about two dozen books now under my belt. <laughs> Hey, if you're enjoying this interview, be sure to check out the full video version on the Array of Hope channel. Subscribe for free at watch.arrayofhope.net. Then download the app by searching Array of Hope on your mobile device, Apple TV, or Roku. Yeah, yeah, no, it's amazing. I've uh, read a few of them, and uh, they're always very deep, very prolific, and, and they really... Um, um, accomplish the task, you know, give, giving us the information uh, that we need to better understand the church, really. Um, so, which brings me to my next question. So, I mean, you've written so many books, but this next book, uh, and I, I apologize, I didn't really get a chance to read the entire thing, but what I did read, it doesn't even read like a book that you wrote. It's very, very different stylistically. Uh, the title is 1054 and all that, a lighthearted history of the Catholic Church. Now, um, it, it's humorous. It's got a different vibe to it. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about the book and why you're taking this approach and, and, and tell us a little bit about the book. I, I have to say, uh, I do have a friend. He's an author who was going to write a review or did write a review of the book at Amazon. And he said he stopped reading about one-fourth of the way through in order to write the review because he was afraid that if he read the book all the way through, he would have been laughing so hard that he would have been too tired to write the review. <laughs> so, and I, so I'm getting that. It is quite different. I've had people say, I wouldn't have expected this coming to come from you given your style in writing. And I appreciate that. Uh, but this book is... Uh, it's inspired by two things, I'd say, and both remote. Uh, the first one, I could say it's inspired by uh, the way I operated with my first book, Catholicism and Fundamentalism, which came out 35 years ago. And in that book, I wanted to appeal not just to a Catholic readership, but to a Protestant readership. And for the latter, I knew I could not try to argue in terms of papal decrees or conciliar documents because Protestants don't accept their authority. 
So I limited my argumentation to three things, scripture, early church history, and common sense. And the early church history proved to be especially useful because if you go back and look at what the Christians of the first five centuries believed, that's the Catholic church. The doctrines are just the same. The morals are just the same. There's no distinction. And in subsequent years, I discovered that many people turning to those early writings and maybe coming to them with a suspicion about the Catholic faith ended up becoming Catholic uh, because their impression had been the, the Catholic faith as seen today is something basically from at least the Middle Ages or maybe the Reformation era, but it doesn't have a history going all the way back. And so I found history to be maybe the most sobering of disciplines. Uh, so I always encourage people to read, learn Catholic history. But nowadays, there aren't many Catholics who get Catholic history, certainly not in secular schools, but not even in parochial schools or, mm -hmm. or Catholic colleges or high schools. Yeah. So I wrote 1054 and all that uh, with that in mind. It's, it's a kind of introduction to the faith uh, through the church's history. So that attitude of mine coming from my first book, Catholicism and Fundamentalism, that was one of the two remote impulses. The other remote impulse was a book written in 1931 in London, and it was called put up, 1066 and all that. Wow. And uh, it's got two authors, uh, W.C. Seller and R.J. Yateman, and it's a spoof history of England. And what they say in their introduction is that this is what we imagine the average Englishman still remembers of what little history he was taught about England. Now, the title 1066 and all that, the 1066 refers to the year of the Norman invasion of England. So that was a pivotal year in English history. In my book, 1054 and all that, the 1054 refers to the year that the Eastern churches broke off from the Catholic church. So a pivotal pivotal year. Uh, that book had a, a lot of illustrations, pen and ink illustrations inside. And I wanted to do something similar, but more sophisticated in my book. So I arranged with a very fine caricaturist to make drawings for my book, not just for the cover, but on the inside. And I think he did a, a very fine job. His, his style is somewhat like that of Al Hirschfeld, who was famous for uh, caricatures of Hollywood personalities and the like. Mm -hmm. So uh, my book is different in its humor from 1066 and all that. I would call the British book uh, maybe a verbal slapstick, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Uh, a little little goofy, mm -hmm. I would say, yeah. but fun. Where my humor is more of a dry wit, more mordant humor. Mm -hmm. uh, I have a few wisecracks in there too. But uh, I, I think it's fair to say that basically every page is going to draw a smile, if not a laugh. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that, that's so, so cool. I'm glad that you uh, you had said that uh, the first 500 years of the Catholic Church uh, is really, you, you know, the, the first five, 500 years are exactly what the teachings teach today. Uh, and it's always sort of my uh, go-to when I, I meet a, a, you know, a um, Protestant 
when they're saying, well, the Catholic Church evolved into this thing that, you know, we disagree with. And I say, well, look, you read the church fathers who really were the disciples of the apostles, right? I mean, th that's the Catholic Church. So why don't you share with our viewers and listeners a little bit of the history that you feel that you shared, that's important that you shared in the book and, and why we need to know that history. Well, in that first, I divide the book in four sections of 500 years. I don't have chapters per se. I have those four sections. Mm -hmm. And I look at 111 people or incidents or heresies or what have you, or events, or whatever. And each one is short in, in uh, the word count, anywhere from 250 words to 650. And in the early part, the uh, first 500 years, I look at a number of heresies, Gnosticism, Montanism, Manichaeism, mm -hmm. uh, Donatism, and, and others. You know, those are just a, Arianism. That takes us up to 325. So in each of those, I explain what the heresy was and how the church responded to it. And I tried to do so in a, in a lighthearted way. And, uh, you know, I, I begin that section on the early uh, Christian writers, well, maybe not quite begin, but just about, with a little account of St. Justin Martyr. And I include him because he was the church's first apologist. And this is what I say, and it gives, gives you maybe a sense of my approach in terms of humor uh, to the book. I say, among the earliest Christian writers, Reminder, all of them were Catholic. <laughs> were those known as the Catholic apologists? Not everyone nowadays knows the meaning of the term Catholic apologist. Here it is. A Catholic apologist is someone who goes around the country apologizing for being a Catholic. <laughs> then there's a footnote. The footnote says, this is a joke. If you didn't realize that at once, stop reading here. You won't understand the rest of this book. <laughs> so, it's great. So, so I'm, you know, I mentioned, uh, I go on a little more about Justin and, and the fact that he converted from paganism and was a philosopher and was martyred. And uh, then after that, I began looking chiefly in the next few pages uh, at the heresies, because in the early centuries, we had a lot of heresies regarding the nature of Christ. Who was he? What was he? Why was he? Right. So Arianism, for example, said that Christ had only one nature, human nature, not divine nature. So he was a creature, but the best of all God's creatures. And unfortunately, Arianism is, is it one of those heresies that's popped up again in our own era, but not under that name, of course. Nowadays, you hear many people talk about Jesus as a wonderful example, a model to be emulated, and so on and so forth. They don't talk to him as God. Right. You know, and so we, we see old heresies coming back with with you know new labels, new dress, and so on. Uh, and I look at you know a number of others in this uh, first section of the five hundred years. Yeah, that that that's awesome. Um, I think it's um, I think it's great for Catholics to understand where we come from. Right, it gives us a, a better foundation to really. Um, accept the teachings of the church because they've been around so long and, and where they're actually rooted in is from right from the very beginning, as, as you shared. Um, 
that's the foundation of what we believe from the start. Uh, are there any other areas that you talk about church history or what, what other areas you might dive into? Well, I just mentioned the first 500 years. That's the first section of the book. Then I get into the Dark Ages. And I begin with St. Benedict and St. Patrick. Uh, Benedict, of course, was the founder of Western monasticism. And we all remember the story of Patrick driving out the snakes from Ireland. And in fact, uh, the opposite page illustration on uh, that one shows Patrick shooing along a couple dozen snakes. Uh, and, I, and I asked there, I say about Patrick, I say, Patrick was successful in reorganizing the church in Ireland. He also helped Ireland materially, being said to have driven the snakes out of the country. Where he drove them is unknown, but there are six municipalities in the United States named after him, and each one is noted for high incidence of reptiles. That may not be a coincidence. And there actually are six municipalities in the U.S. named yeah. after Patrick. Yeah. Uh, but, cool. but I stretched a little bit claiming that each one has a high incidence of reptiles. I'm not really sure about that. Yeah. But, uh, you know, so I mentioned in the second segment, uh, popes such as Gregory the Great uh, mentioned uh, another uh, heresies that would come up. Um, you know, Spain, the Reconquista, which was the longest war in history, where the Spaniards eventually drove the Moors back to North Africa and retook their country. So throughout this book, I've uh, tried to give a representative sample of incidents and people in church history, but I don't try to be complete by any means. It's a, mm -hmm. it's a short book. Right, right, right. Uh, for example, uh, in scripture, we have 15 men denominated as apostles. I mentioned only three, Peter, Paul, and John. Hmm. Uh, and, and that leaves me 12 others I can mention if I have a sequel to this book. <laughs> uh, well, you know what? Uh, here at Array of Hope, I mean, we evangelize to the culture through multimedia, through content, through films, music, and humor at some of our events. So um, I, I think it's it's good, this is my personal opinion, I think it's good to use things that people respond to and relate to, such as humor. So I, I guess I wanted to ask you, so why did... I think it's effective because you're drawing people's attention, right? You make them laugh. And then they, when you're actually expressing content that is, that is heavy and meaningful and truthful, they're more apt to listen. So I don't know if that was your philosophy or what made you choose. I mean, you kind of shared it a little bit, but what do you think about using humor as a conduit in a way to deliver the message? Well, I hope it proves effective. I think it will. Yeah. I mean, already the book is, is getting excellent reviews. And, and people are always talking about how humorous it was, but they get through the book and they read Catholic history. That's right. Uh, it's easy enough to pick up a Catholic history book or any kind of history book and eyes can glaze over after a while right. because it's a little hard to have a novelistic kind of discussion of mm -hmm. history. Yeah. Uh, and what I want to do in this book is just begin to make up for the lack of instruction in history that most Catholics have had. As I said earlier, you don't tend to get history at Catholic schools. You certainly don't get it at secular schools. Right. And when you end up hearing later about some incident in Catholic history, it's often misconstrued uh, because it's coming from a source that may be antagonistic to the church. Mm -hmm. uh, so I want to get people excited about Catholic history. And I think the way to do it is to give them 
elements of it that are accurate in terms of place and incidents and persons and what was done and what was said, but also uh, leaven it a bit mm-hmm. with humor yeah. so that they can begin to uh, enjoy the reading of history. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't think if, if you go back to a standard history book, you're not going to get the wisecracks that I have in this one. But this one, I think, at least will get you going uh, to see what Catholic history is about. Now, I I mentioned I've got 111 subsets in here of of subparts, what have you, of of things that I talk about. The longest one takes about a page and a half. Others are a quarter of a page long. Mm -hmm. So it's it's an easy read. You can take it up, put it down. If you if you were to sit with it and just read it straight, it would take you less than two hours. Yeah. So it's by no means figuratively or literally a heavy book. Right. Uh, but it's a book that I think will uh, bring a lot of Catholics to, into a desire of wanting to learn more about where their church came from and what it did over the last 2,000 years. Yeah, yeah. I think it's awesome. I told you, I skimmed through a little bit. I read some parts and it had me laughing. And I said, this is very different. And, you know, you're right. I mean, history could be really dry. And, and you know, in school, I didn't do well in history because I always found myself bored in history class. But this is a different approach to revealing things that are important about our church. We need to know where we come from. So this is really this is really awesome, Carl. And thank you for uh, being inspired to do this. Is there anything that you want to share with our viewers and listeners? Maybe um, something that is on deck or, or where can we, where can we find the book? Oh, well, you can find the book most easily at Amazon and it comes in four variants, mm-hmm. hardback, paperback, ebook, and audiobook. Awesome. And, yeah. And it's also available at Barnes and Noble and other stores, but the easiest would be Amazon because that provides you with all four variants. Great. Great. And is there anything that, anything else you want to promote or talk about or what's on deck for Carl? Well, uh, I mentioned before we got live that I was doing some backpacking next week. And (laughs) when I come back, I'm going to be finishing up the last of a series of four books on backpacking. Really? And so, yeah, so that will be coming out uh, maybe April or May. And then after that, later in the year, I'm turning to a beginner's guide to Dante's Divine Comedy. Wow. And it will be... Three short books, uh, Dante's Inferno in 30 Days, Dante's Purgatorio in 30 Days, and Dante's Paradiso in 30 Days. Hmm. And then those three will be combined into an omnibus volume called Dante's Divine Comedy in 90 Days. So that will come out toward the end of the year. And uh, I hope somewhere between those two, I can finish off a novel I'm working on and get that out to the public. Wow. Very ambitious. And I, I feel like uh, we're witnessing a whole new chapter in your life. These are totally different types of books, especially the the backpack and hiking book. I, I can't imagine what, is that going to be theological in any way or just like, you know, make sure you bring enough no, water no. and food kind of a thing? <laughs> well, the, the series is called How to Fail at Hiking. Wow. <laughs> and there are lots of books in the for hiking or backpacking that tell you how to succeed. So I'm taking a different twist. I'm saying that, you know, in life, we learn two ways. We learn first the positive instruction. Do this, do that, follow these 10 steps, you will succeed. 
But we probably also learn an equal amount by observing our own and other people's mistakes. Mm. So the, my four book series begins with how to fail at backpacking. That's a general book and what to bring, what not to bring, all that kind of stuff. And then there are three particular books uh, of, in terms of locales, how to fail at hiking Mount Whitney, how to fail at hiking Yosemite, and how to fail at hiking Grand Canyon. And then those four <laughs> books together also will appear as an omnibus volume called How to Fail at Hiking. So <laughs> I've been hiking for backpacking for many years, and I get to do a lot of it now that I'm otherwise retired and I don't have to go into the office for certain <laughs> hours. So part of my self, at least in the summer months, is towards hiking. And in the other months of the year or when the weather's really bad, uh, I hit the keyboard and concentrate on writing. So uh, actually, I'll end up getting books out much more rapidly, I think, uh, in my retirement than I ever could before. Wow. That's the, I, I mean, I was laughing because I think they're interesting titles, you know, How to Fail At. I'm, I'm sure a lot of people will like perk up and say, hey, this is an interesting title. Uh, you'll have to really make an interesting cover. I mean, to really... I, the covers already are done. I had a professional <laughs> do them. Awesome. And honestly, they're, they're excellent covers. Awesome. So I'm, I'm just, I just have to finish the text of the last book, and then I can publish all of them. Awesome. And, uh, and as I say, they'll be out pretty soon. That's great. Well, listen, Carl, you've been a delight. It's been great to meet you and hang with you a little bit here. And I wish you all the best in all your endeavors. God bless you. Thank you, Mario. It's been wonderful to be with you and hope to see you again. Peace. Peace to you. So glad you joined us today for this episode. I want to remind you to continue to share this podcast with others. The more people that know about it, the more we can grow and the more souls we can help save and heal. Also, comment in the comments section. If you're listening on Apple Podcast, comment and also give us a rating. And if you're listening on Spotify, give us a rating. And give us a good one, please. Also, please prayerfully consider going to our donation page and help us out. Help us in our work by making a donation at arrayofhope.org. We're always engaged on social media and we want to connect with you there. So join us as we share our music, our videos, and daily reflections. There's lots of fun stuff to share with you. We pray the Divine Mercy Chaplet every day on Instagram at 3 p.m. Please join us as we pray together as a universal church. Our guest next time will be Kimberly Hahn, and I'm super excited about this. That's right, Scott Hahn's wife. We're going to be sharing the importance of family and how to strengthen our Catholic identity as families. So thanks for joining us today. And remember, there is always a reason for hope. This is Mario Costabile. Until next time, peace. Cause hope can last.